Hi, I'm Ann Doherty, co-founder of Alum. And I'm Sarah Kinzemius, co-founder of Alum. And you're listening to Current. We created this podcast as a way not only to bring you our take on the most important stories happening in the energy industry this month, but as a way to better tell the human side of those stories. Alum social scientists and researchers work with some of the largest utilities in the country to help them think through the opportunities and challenges of transforming our industry. Climate change, energy storage, electric vehicles, resiliency. Behind each and every one of those is not just a grid or a complex set of networks, but people. And that's what this podcast is all about, understanding the relationships between those who create energy, those who consume it, and the natural resources that make that possible. So whether you're listening to us on your commute or while going out for a walk or a run, we're grateful you chose us to be part of your day. So what do you say, Anne? Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. This is Anne Doherty, and today we're recording from our offices in beautiful Portland, Oregon, where I'm joined by Illumed Managing Technical Director, Jess Rivas. Jess has been in the industry for many years, serving in various technical roles before joining our team. Jess, it's great to have you on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here, and we're happy to have you here in Portland with us. I love Portland. We can have a whole podcast devoted to Portland. Um, so Jess, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Illum for those listeners who haven't had the opportunity to engage with you. Um, sure. I joined Illum um, almost exactly two years ago. Um, prior to joining Illum, I was with Navigant for 10 years and Summit Blue before that and um, actually started in this industry at eSource doing technology assessment. Um, so I feel really lucky to have kind of this um, combination of starting in technology, moving to evaluation and impact evaluation, and then coming to a loom where I'm joined by my colleagues that are ethnographers and anthropologists um, and getting to kind of blend all of these experiences to um, really what has been the focus of the last two years, which is helping support um, our customers in the facilitation of um, both identifying and testing emerging technologies. So I was even able to host um, a panel on that topic at our Changemaker conference last year. Yeah, that was a, a great panel. It was really well received and people were incredibly engaged. In fact, if I recall, we had to sort of forego an exercise because there was so much fodder for conversation as these ideas are springing up all over the industry. And coming out of that, we really felt like as we started this podcast series, this would really be something that we should bring forward and help utilities think through ways to bring these new ideas into action, especially given you know, our need to change quickly uh, in this current environment as we look to uh, reduce greenhouse gases and um, innovate um, on the grid. So whether it's pilots or electric vehicle launches or utility scale pushes to decarbonize, ideas have to begin somewhere. And so we're going to really focus today on how you take those big ideas and you move them into something that can actually be launched and delivered at scale. So Jess, um, as you mentioned, you've had the opportunity to support a few utilities in emerging tech. And utilities are always looking to involve these solutions and find ways to bring new technologies to market. 
and new innovations um, are always springing up. But what's um, unique about this moment? Why are we suddenly seeing this real push uh, across the U.S. to bring new technologies forward? You know, that's a great question. And I think it's caused by um, many things kind of colliding. Um, I think obviously um, there are increasingly stringent goals um, at federal and state levels to um, hit targets that um, are going to require new and different solutions than those we have. Um, I think um, the markets are evolving. Markets, and I say plural, meaning across, you know, um, a lot of different technologies and end uses are evolving perhaps more rapidly than we expected. And in that regard, our runway to needing to make some of these changes is um, diminishing rapidly. Um, and I think, you know, there's just also been technological advances that have really changed um, customer expectations, customer behavior, and um, how we experience the world around us. So when you are thinking about yourself in the room with your clients, and uh, they're, they're thinking about a new idea and wanting to take on a new ambitious undertaking, and it, it could be anything, you know, from a, a technology to a solution, they must feel very daunted. Um, so how do you coach them through taking that first step? What do you ask them to think about when they're initiating a new idea? That's such a great question. I think, I think it's okay to acknowledge that feeling of overwhelm. Um, and I think it's that feeling that can um, motivate the sort of preparation that's necessary to start um, lifting what it takes to start the identification process of an emerging tech or an emerging intervention. Um, what I like to how I like to frame it um, is to think about being at the top of a funnel and um, instead of letting the market and vendors provide us um, solutions to problems that don't exist, the top of the funnel really starts with the identification of the problem at hand or the problems at hand. And then that funnel needs to be rooted directly in um, the market within which our our clients are working and who their customers or the would-be recipients of such a solution, um, what, they're, what they look like and what their needs are. So it starts really, I think, with just the act of um, kind of I, painting the landscape um, and then going from there. That's great um, and really insightful because as you mentioned or alluded to, it, it, there is this tendency to get excited about a technology before thinking about the problem you're trying to solve. Um, so when you think about um, this landscape and the top of the funnel, um, what do you do next? What um, If we've identified a problem and we're starting to seek opportunities to solve that problem, which you know may be any number of technologies or solutions, what's the next step? How do you move from that identification to, to the next phase? I think the next step is then in cataloging the list of problems and needs that you've identified. And again, building out from there, um, ultimately what you want to move toward is a process through which you can start to track the potential solutions to those identified problems. And then once you've identified them, start to score or triage them across whatever metrics are of value. So it might be the scale of that potential problem and its solution, um, the depth of it, 
Um, it might be market readiness. It could be and probably should be a lot of different things, including um, maybe more key or specified strategic considerations like whether that solution or that problem rather exists within um, a segment of interest like a vulnerable community. Um, so then once you can catalog the problems, we can start to set up the mechanisms we need to identify the solutions. And then, like I said, go from going from there, scoring um, really the efficacy and feasibility of those solutions so that what you're moving toward ideally is um, creating your pipeline. So now you've started with the funnel, you've kind of tweaked your funnel to be meaningful to you and customized to you, and now you're, you're moving toward creating a pipeline and ultimately um, a selection and scoring process that places you in a part or a moment where you um, can begin to think about testing some of those solutions. That's great and really, really helpful insight. Thinking about going from that point of overwhelm that we talked about earlier to introducing something systematic that moves you from, you know, that initial need to innovate to a, a process that helps guide your thinking as you get to your pipeline. And what's thinking about the pipeline itself, one of the things we coach our clients around is getting to know faster um, or another way that you you hear this is to fail fast, meaning you want to get things off your list as quickly as possible because like most organizations, a utility has only so many resources to actually move solutions into market. And so wasting time on things that don't work can um, really impede your ability to move those things that are working forward. Um, but the challenge seems to be often that incentives aren't really aligned for failure as incentives are aligned for successes. So how do you um, think about coaching a team to failure, coaching a team to being okay with letting go of ideas and initiatives as you're talking to clients? I love this topic because, um, you know, as an engineer, we believe that failing fast is um, something to strive toward. And um, you're right that it doesn't, that paradigm doesn't necessarily exist in this industry or in this moment. Um, but I think I think how I approach it is that um, failing fast occurs on a lot of different levels in this process. So it occurs from, you know, um, the moment of identification of a potential solution. Even that initial moment, there is um, a, a, an opportunity to fail fast by passing um, or by putting that potentially identified solution past a sniff test, as it were, or just trying to look quickly if, if there's any real merit, if um, a potential solution um, you know, follows the laws of thermodynamics and could deliver um, either what it promises to deliver or at the level it promises to deliver it. And so, you know, even that first level of um, kind of identifying what we might consider snake oil is your first opportunity to fail fast. Get that off your radar. Don't lose it entirely. Track it so you can remember and um, enable your future team to remember that you've looked at this and don't need to waste your time looking at it again. But then that opportunity to fail fast it stays with you all the way to your, you know, opportunity to now test a solution that's made it through the pipeline. Um, and I think this is where, again, I think we have to let go of um, a paradigm of, you know, standing up a full pilot of trying to achieve statistical significance or precision at um, a level that it's probably really unnecessary, um, but it's kind of the convention, especially the convention we use in evaluation. 
Um, I think instead we should be really willing to, um, to your point, to this point of failing fast, we should be willing to just rapid test. So it's about right-sizing the test to both the problem and to the timeline that we have. So it might be as simple as um, reducing the number of devices or homes or buildings within which we're testing something. It could be um, enabling um, faster implementation through using um, friendlies or you know, employees within the organization to get into people's homes or buildings faster. There's a lot of ways that we can shortcut what is otherwise a very long and arduous process that can take a year or more to um, provide us the lessons we need to learn, which might be that it didn't work. So um, I think it's just rethinking how to design tests that can provide us the direction, you know, or the evidence, the early evidence that we need to know um, very fast before we make a larger and longer term commitment to learning more about something. Oh, that's great and, and really helpful. And it's exciting to be, as a, as a company, engaged in the process of thinking about how we do that and what ways we do that. Um, so stepping back from process, a lot of uh, the art of moving new ideas and initiatives into market is uh, about talent and who is at the helm of, of these various initiatives. And, uh, you know, if you were to step back from the process and ask yourself or provide advice to uh, SVP, let's say, in charge of innovation, what types of personality attributes or skills or, or things that you would want to see in a team, um, what, what would be required uh, to be effective and successful in moving these emerging technology processes forward? I love that question. Um, I think it's both who we might consider the obvious people, but then um, also some people maybe that wouldn't immediately come to mind. I think there's obvious benefit to having engineers as a part of the process, especially um, in the earliest stages, like I said, of screening would-be interventions or technologies. Um, a lot of this comes down to building science, thermodynamics, you know, core principles that an engineer could help provide. Um, I think program staff have a role here, um, both in you know something as um, simple as identifying whether something is similar enough to something already coming through programs, maybe through a custom program offering, but also in um, providing the context of you know really your sub segments or your customer segments. Um, they'll have that knowledge from having worked within their programs, um, and then I think you know depending on how large a team can and can't be. I think there, it's, there's just so much um, knowledge within the organization about what problems really are being um, faced by customers. I think um, some neat ideas that I've seen and I believe in are um, leaving, you know, ideation forms or um, some sort of pipeline back into the organization, including and especially the call center um, staff, you know, they're hearing directly from customers daily. And I think really that they have a lot of, um, a lot of insight that is certainly um, worthy of being kind of piped back into the, the folks that create, that are on the emerging technology team. That's great. I love that because you've, you've drawn out a picture where 
any number of actors get to come forward and and lend their respective expertise in helping to make these decisions rather than say relying on you know any one um, technical capability or one particular uh, area of the business to to do that and i i think you're right i think it requires all of those all of those brains so uh this has been a great talk jess and uh rather than like dragging it on and on i do want to ask you one question that everybody asks, which is, what do you see as the great opportunity on the horizon? Is there a certain area in the utility business that you think, look, if we can, if we can nail this, we are going to really um, be able to change the industry as we know it. Um, is there anything that you see that, in, you know, in your crystal ball that you think is um, going to be the next big change? Um, well, that's a tough question. And I think what I, my answer I want to give also, um, includes a little bit of um, my thoughts on really the previous question and what I didn't say, which is that, you know, I think also that that team, whatever the team might be that can support um, emerging tech work really also should include, if possible, either directly or through, you know, some open communication channel members of other parts of the organization. So whether it's the engineering department an R and D department, a renewables department, um, forecasters, you know, really um, what we need to consider is a blend of the needs of all of these different arms of the organization. And I think when you ask, when I'm asked um, what I think the next big opportunity is, I think I often feel like a Debbie Downer because I don't think we're going to luck into another miracle widget that's going to replace lighting, that's going to buoy our portfolios. Um, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Uh, I, could, I could be wrong. It'd be wonderful if I was wrong. I think instead that what the next big play is, is really in, in shifting the, even this, the scanning for the next widget into setting ourselves up for an ecosystem. And that if we're going to make um, or meet rather these, these goals, um, meet them in these um, moments where we have a much much shorter runway than we expected to have we really need to create an ecosystem within buildings within homes within um, building developments that are meeting the energy efficiency goals we have now but also setting ourselves up to um, really future-proof against all of the other things that are happening at the same time so um, demand flexibility to increasing the amount of um, demand mitigation strategies that can be deployed in a home or building, and also grid balancing as more renewable generation comes online, setting ourselves up to be able to, again, optimize that. So that's a lot. I said a lot. But I think what that really means is that we need to be looking at um, interventions through the lens of how they play together and the value stacking that we can achieve across them. And that can be really hard if we're siloed in our teams, if we're stuck in the old framework of looking for one widget to hit, you know, 20% annual reduction in energy. And um, we have to just kind of think through these things um, really with a different perspective. And at the center of all of that is, you know, the, the human and, and what behavior um, looks like now and what behavior is going to look like in the future as we continue into this kind of new future. 
Thanks, Jess. I really loved your insight around future proofing. And I think that may be my mantra for 2020 as, as we move into the year. It's going on the wall. Also, uh, thanks for having me in Portland. It's great to be communicating from one of our Northwestern offices and to be able to spend this time with you talking about subjects that, that you love. Oh, you're welcome, Anne. This podcast was created by Illum's production team. Theme music by Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you and see you next time.